Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome on to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Mo speaking, and I'm really pleased to be able to bring you this conversation with Preston Hagel. Now, Preston's somebody I've wanted to have on the show for a very long time because the work that he's involved in over at Exchange is really something I admire. I hope you enjoy it, and if you do, why not tell one other person about this resource of Seeds, which is now a database of more than 300 interviews of inspiring people. And if this is the first time you've listened to an episode, why not hit subscribe and leave a rating and review? Now let's start this conversation with Preston. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Preston Hagel, the Director and Operations Manager at Exchange Christchurch. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, nice to be in the hot seat finally. Yeah, well, you're right. It has been a long time. I've wanted to have you on for ages, and I really appreciate that you'd come and share with us about Exchange. I'd really love to learn about it, and particularly the community that's been built up there. That's something that really interests me. Like, how can we have more inclusive and, um, you know, have places where people gather. Mm. Um, so we're going to find out all about that. Great. But before we do that, I always like to go back in time. Um, mm. So could you just tell us a bit about your background? And we're going way back. So like when you were four or five years old, mm. where were you living? Nice. And what was it like? Um, yeah, thanks for asking. I grew up in a small town in Tennessee. Um, my parents were both from Florida and New York. So they just wanted to pick somewhere in between to raise a family uh, so that we, we could... Uh, stay semi-close and travel to visit um, family and friends where my parents were from. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I grew up near Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, I guess like one odd fact about myself is that I was homeschooled my whole life. Mm -hmm. So my parents kind of um, took the route of uh, believing that you could raise a kid, um, teaching them to believe in themselves and that they could teach themselves anything. And in that way, if you could teach yourself to do anything, then you could do really do anything. So um, I think they also that mixed with a bit of maybe disagreeing with some of the social pressure that schools tend to put on kids. Um, and uh, yeah, and, so and what did shape them to have that sort of a you know approach? Because that's not like a mainstream approach. Where what had led them to be like that? Yeah, I'm really not sure. I've never really asked. Um, the way that they, I guess. Um, talk to others was just more of a, um, yeah, I guess belief in us, me and my sister as individuals, we were both homeschooled. Mm. Um, and my parents were both really smart. Um, my dad's a manufacturing engineer and I think he was teaching me and my sister like trigonometry when we were like 10 or 11, like, cause he's just like, Oh, it's easy. So if I find it easy, then surely you can find it easy too. Right. So <laughs> who's to say like, you know, these systems of school should, should slow us down or, you know, that we need to learn at a certain pace or be kept at the same kind of, um, level as our peers whenever we, um, yeah, might specialize in certain things. And it's actually definitely shaped the way that I see education and, and learning, um, kind of peer to peer learning now. Um, yeah, realizing how important it is, you know, who you surround yourself with and, um, yeah, uh, removing barriers, um, from learning and stuff that, um, that we might not realize are there. Yeah. So yeah, my parents, yeah. So my parents, um, both worked actually growing up. So we often had babysitters and we were kind of given, given the homework to, to do ourselves and then, um, spent time together every evening as a family going over that work. And that was probably also something that really shaped, 
how I um, grew to see failure as a little differently than most of my peers because I never really got failed grades. My parents, when I, there was something I couldn't do, they just said, well, wh why did you find that hard? And how, how might you find another way to, to better understand this information? Mm. So um, yeah, obviously in education, there's you know, audio visual kind of learners, people who prefer to read or people who prefer to listen or um, be more hands-on. So um, I think having that um, approach being taught growing up was really useful because when I did find something hard, it wasn't that necessarily that the information was hard, it was maybe just how I was consuming it. Mm. And of course in school, you're kind of, um, everyone's expected to kind of consume the information the same way, however the teacher decides, and it's not as bespoke. So yeah, yeah I feel very fortunate to have had <laughs> that kind of option growing up and to have the time um, with you know the family um, kind of making sure that we were growing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's actually really different when you think about the structure of a school, like, okay, we're, mm -hmm. in, we're in this year and the curriculum says that on this day, I'm mm -hmm. going to teach you this thing yeah. and you didn't get it. Well, sorry, we're moved on to the next thing. That's right. But it sounds like that sort of approach. It's in my kids have been coming home recently talking about the growth mindset approach, mm -hmm. which is this idea that you don't know how to do it yet. You yeah. know, you, you, That's right. you can learn to do it. And it sounds like that would resonate with their approach. Very similar. Yeah. I think the best way I've seen um, it explained um, or a great comparison is um, if you look up rhizomatic pedagogy. So pedagogy, of course, being just an educational structure or system. But rhizomes are plants like potatoes. Mm. And um, in relation to education, I've seen people say that schools are like root systems. They're kind of like copy and paste and information gets handed down. And depending on like what room you're in, whether it's chemistry or literature or math, you know, that information has been passed on to that teacher and they're going to pass it on to those students. And that's kind of similar to a root system. Whereas mm. rhizomes, the way that they kind of grow is that they are constantly responding to their environment and adapting and changing constantly. Mm -hmm. So if you were to think about, you know, Timmy going to school, um, instead of saying, all right, you're going to be in this room this day at this hour and this, 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 you might say, Hey, how are you feeling today Timmy? Like, what are you feeling like, um, learning about what do you think you might learn today best by, you know, having someone help you or, or by doing it on your own? Or do you think being inside or outside? So that's mm -hmm. maybe more of the kind of Steiner or, um, yeah, some of the alternative, more modern schools, schooling yeah. systems, I think, respond to that a little better. Yeah. So, yeah, that's similar to what I grew up with, it's, I would say. It's really interesting because the lunch that we had recently, the Impact Lunch mm -hmm. at Exchange, um, one of the themes that came through from everybody talking was about education. Yeah. And could we reimagine education for children? And mm. it does strike me, you know, the, the school system that we have, people come in as young, you know, five-year-olds questioning and mm. looking at the world. And, yeah. you know, curiosity is what's driving them. And then over time, it does feel like we start boxing them in. And we narrow their focus. Here's the one answer to that question. Mm. And you have to memorize it. And if you can't memorize it, then you're going to fail. And, right. and it kind of, yeah, it's quite a contrast. But then I guess to just to give the other perspective, sometimes it is helpful to have somebody say, you know, here's how we're doing it, yeah. having that structure in place as well. So Yeah, and to be able to hone in on your own skills and your gifts, you have to have you know, some type of a process where you're developing. You know? And yeah, so yeah. I definitely look at you know, creativity, um, especially, you know, at exchange in some ways it's chaotic, you know, who knows what's going to happen when. Mm. <laughs> um, and then at the same time, we still need 
you know, to commit to putting in time to developing our work and to, um, yeah, committing time to learning and practicing and delivering and taking breaks, you know, mm. like those, all of those things are important as important parts of the creative process. Yeah. So there is structure always, it's kind of a bit of a balance between the two. Yeah, for sure. Well, see, this is why I love the podcast because I had no idea we were going to go off on a, <laughs> a tangent about yeah. education, but that's, that's the joy of it is this is a real conversation. So mm. coming back to your childhood, then it sounds like you and your sister would have gotten to know each other pretty well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, was there other kids who were being homeschooled? that you interacted with or was there a community or yeah how did that go yeah i grew up in a very strong church community um and i wouldn't say that most of the peers my age were um also homeschooled um we're definitely mixed um but the great thing about growing up in a community um especially around a common belief um with our church was that people um I, I learned to kind of communicate with people of all ages um, my parents were very adamant that if we got to church early or um stayed after that i could only choose one of those to socialize with people my age and the other i'd have to spend um, socializing to everyone else basically right. okay so um yeah it was kind of again giving the choice back to me as even as a young person to say all right well when i get there i'm gonna talk to older people and actually like take my time to right. listen and slow yeah. down and, and appreciate a lot of the wisdom that they passed on. And of course at the time, you know, being young, you want to just kind of shoot off and maybe, you know, spend time with your friends. But, um, yeah, now looking back, it was invaluable. So yeah, I grew up around quite a, quite a strong and large community, not yeah. really so much around homeschooling, but yeah, yep, around a belief system, yeah. shared belief. Yeah. And the landscape of where you are, can you just mm -hmm. describe like what, what type of a place is it? Is it, yeah, yeah, I haven't been there, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Cleveland, Tennessee doesn't have um, any um, accolades uh, that I can think of off the top of my head right where I grew up. But Chattanooga being close by um, is uh, famous for the mountains, um, the Great Smoky Mountains. Um, Gatlinburg is a huge tourist kind of spot and, um, and beautiful, yeah, just um, beautiful mountain ranges mm -hmm. and uh, lakes. Uh, we grew up quite close to the Ocoee Whitewater, which is where the Olympics for like kayaking were held back in the 90s, I think. So um, man-made kind of courses and stuff. But yeah, great places to kayak and canoe out and camping and mountain biking was a huge part of my upbringing. So mm. I had a partic particular interest in when I came to New Zealand that those would still be a part of my life that I wasn't moving to a city yep. where that kind of excluded me from yeah staying yeah. in the outdoors. Oh, that's great. So yeah. the outdoors sounds like it was a key theme as well. Yeah. And yeah, I guess to kind of move the story along too, um, I moved to Asheville, North Carolina when I was 17. And that's really where the creativity started to show up in my life. Um, I think Asheville, Portland, Oregon, Austin, Texas were kind of cities in the States that had this common theme that they were quirky and weird and almost like competing with each other with who was weirder or, you know, like kind of what kind of... Um, yeah um scenes were developing mm -hmm. and um yeah really what i saw was where um in Asheville, which was sitting really closely to the Appala uh, appalachian trail so a lot of backpackers and hikers and travelers would come off the trail and come into the um, public parks and kind of the common areas of the city and they would mix with the locals and um yeah there was very powerful um social spaces and that's really where I feel like I did a lot of uh, 
growing up almost was like getting my hands into a lot of creative different things like there were areas of the city um like the river river arts district which were whole rows of warehouses and industrial buildings that were converted into art spaces and you could go and just explore until you basically found a door that was open and walk in and learn how to blow glass or that's where i learned how to sew that's where i learned how to do a lot of things Mm. and um yeah that was I guess the first time that I started to see the, a bit of a bridge between the arts, which always seemed like some foreign, like far out industry and actually just getting my hands on and being close to something that was fun and creative. So and yeah. Was, and was that something that you sought out? Like you moved there on purpose because you thought that's the place where this is happening? Yeah. Yeah. Asheville, I had friends um, that had moved. It's only a few hours from where I grew up. Okay. Um, so I could still be kind of close to home, but yeah, it had started to get a reputation just through word of mouth with my friends that it was a really great city to live in. I think it's only like 80,000 people in Asheville, um, or it was when I moved there 13, 14 years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was when, yeah, I guess some of the scene, um, it started, the reputation started to get up that it was a um, really vibrant place to live. And it has a lot of accolades. It's like the number one autumn destination in the US because it's just beautiful with the Blue Ridge Parkway mountains and stuff again so um yeah really incredible place to move to and i I consider asheville home even though it's not where i grew up right it feels like where i really found who i was and uh, met a lot of other people that were creative and exciting yeah Yeah. it's really interesting to me and this is one of the reasons i ask about these early days you Mm -hmm. know to think about how that shapes a person to what they do today because i know what exchange is Mm -hmm. and i look at you now and now it's you know, the puzzle pieces are fitting together in terms <laughs> yeah. of like homeschooled, encouraged to, you know, ha- be responsible for your own education, yeah. community, in your case, through church, through childhood, realizing yeah. the value of other people, I yeah. presume, and then creativity moving to the city and starting to like get your own identity. Yeah. And so the creativity side of things, what what's what was sparking you at that time? Um, I, I would say, I mean, there's a number of things. Some of it was just feeling like you could be, you could get involved. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of what this will come back to, and I probably won't say it enough, but something around the lines of like the school of life, there being a destination where you could go and no matter how old you were, you would just end up spending your time doing something that you had never done before, something that exhilarated you or something that really made you stop and think or have a whole new appreciation for something. Um, Being in these art spaces, watching certain artists kind of refine their practice or explain how you get certain results and manipulate materials, it just felt like they were helping me understand the world around me Mm. and have a better appreciation for it. So um, yeah, that's probably where like the curiosity with creativity really started to come in. Um, I also grew up playing piano um, as a child uh, with my dad. Like went to bed every night listening to him play and he um oh, another interesting fact i guess i'm the only person in my family left-handed not that that's really relevant <laughs> but i'm also um yeah a little different than the rest of my family with the with the life i've chose i guess um but my dad was yeah um he learned from his dad um how to play piano and he had learned from his father and they had all learned classical music and how to read sheet music and I grew up hearing things that I just wanted to, to play and I didn't really like the idea of reading sheet music. I liked the idea of just trying something until I got what I wanted out of it. Right. So yeah, I think that that probably ties back into um, 
some of the nature of my work now is um, where do people fit who want to give things a go and find their own path versus the path that they often believe is laid out for them. You know, as artists, like, okay, go to art school and then graduate and then do a show in a gallery that accepts you. And then hopefully you meet someone who buys your work and then hopefully you can make a name for yourself. And that traditional path to me to look down at as a creative would be actually pretty intimidating if that felt like it was the only option. Right. So what would it look like to create your own? Mm-hmm. And as intimidating as that might be, I think that's also where most of the excitement in my life has come from mm-hmm. has been, all right, you know, what, that, that's, a, that's an option. What are, other, what are the other options? Mm. And if they don't exist, then can I create them? Mm. And that, I think, gives you a level of freedom to create and see the world through a lens that, um, yeah, people, like I said, have a whole new appreciation for the world around them yeah. when they do. Yeah, that's really good. It's, it's fascinating to think about creativity and how, how it emerges from people. And, you right. know, the music is a huge part of creativity, yeah. I think. Sometimes we think, oh, I don't know if if you're a poet or a writer or something or a painter, but then music itself is just so beautiful. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I I just think you know you even think three four hundred years ago, some of the people you know I don't Mozart or Beethoven or something, mm. and you listen to the music today and you think, oh my goodness, it's you know, like incredible <laughs> that that is the the complexities, and then yeah, yeah, it's really beautiful. So when I just have a question, you mm. know, you're 17 years old and you're about to move off. To Nashville, yeah. What was your parents' sort of feeling about that? Was there a bit of tension there, or was it kind of like they kind of trained you to go your own path, right? Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I um, I was I was very supported um, to to take those next steps. I guess like a, a part of that, the picture that I hadn't brought up was around university because most um, you know are encouraged to you know graduate and then pick the thing that you want to do mm-hmm. and kind of commit to it and and pursue that. Um, and my parents maybe kind of knew that by 17, 18 years old, like I finished high school a little, like a year early, but, um, like what are the odds of me at 18 knowing what I was going to be for the rest of my life? Mm. (laughs) And so, um, and for me and my sister as well. So they didn't really encourage me to go to use university as the next step. They kind of encouraged me to, um, use it when it felt like it was the right Thing for me, me to get a better idea of what it was that I wanted to do once, right. once I knew what it was. Um, so yeah, so I guess when I finished high school, um, there wasn't anything keeping me in Tennessee, and the opportunity to be moved to Asheville was there. Mm-hmm. And so when I talked with them about it, they were like, "Yeah, like, why wouldn't it. you go explore? Yeah, mm-hmm. new things." And um, uh, had a lot of support with a job. I did plaster and stucco work when I first moved to North Carolina, and mm-hmm. I had grown up. Uh, with my dad developing the property that we were on. I grew up in 10 acres of woods, um, but got a lot of hands-on experience with my dad developing that property, learning a lot of trades, a bit of electrical, a bit of building, Mm -hmm. a little bit of roofing, everything pretty much. So, um, yeah, I was ready to be on my own and focus on something more specific. Yeah, that's great. So just talk us through the next couple of years, because I'd I'd love to find out, like, Mm. how did you end up in New Zealand? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's quite far away from this place that you're describing. Mm. Um, yeah, maybe lead us through, yeah, what happened next? Sure. I guess Asheville gave me, um, a lot of, um, opportunities. Um, it, like I said, being a vi- very vibrant and active city, I was able to kind of float between areas of interest. Um, I grew up a gymnast as well, so I got to coach gymnastics for a couple of years. 
Um, I got kind of sucked into photographing weddings with friends because I just um, had an eye for it that worked with the kind of work that they were doing. Um, and yeah, just overall just had a, a really fun time. And I guess the turning point for me was um, being in the Caribbean, um, going on a holiday with my partner at the time and seeing a bit of, um, yeah, something that kind of challenged me, kind of being in um, the Dominican Republic and uh Obviously, you have these beautiful beachfront resorts, and we had we're both making a good income, so we had um, yeah the luxury to travel as, as being people in our early twenties. And um, at one point, I remember I just kind of stopped and noticed that a lot of the resorts and these beachfront all-inclusive you know holiday spaces and stuff were on one side of the street, and then across the street were the locals who seemingly had very little. And I just noticed this disconnect that was between you know a whole lot of wealth and and a whole lot of poverty mm. and it kind of uncomfortably coexisting you know on land that um yeah the wealth kind of just gets taken away from you know it kind of just made me stop and question and i'd never really seen um yeah it hadn't felt real to me before i guess growing up um obviously it's a bit of a, a laugh that americans don't travel very much um and i certainly understand um, reasons why I'm, I couldn't imagine my dad taking time off work in order and like try to rally the the four of us as a family to go somewhere where they don't maybe speak English or you know like uh, and, and to spend a couple of weeks just to fly us back and try to reintegrate you know like it, I, yeah I can see how traveling outside of the states would have been would be hard as a, um, a worker in in the states um, with you know median income but when I was in the Caribbean, I saw um, that, yeah, it felt like I was part of the problem with this wealth disparity right. and that nothing I was really doing was contributing to anyone's life other than myself or my friends or mm. kind of my future. And um, yeah, I had quite a profound experience actually cave diving that made me basically just decide to go back to the States and sell everything I owned. And um, so what happened there? Oh, like. Was it a, a, a moment? Oh, it was a moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very, very clear. Um, yeah, we were we were out on this expedition, and um, the kind of local had taken us to this, taken us to this famous beach um, that was rated like yeah, you know, one of the most beautiful beaches, and then this village, and you know, for us, kind of getting all of this cultural input and this beauty, you know, mm -hmm. it was just overwhelming, and you just feel it really feel like you're living a high life. Um, but this moment struck when we went down to this cave, um, kind of walked down these like stone steps, um, to this body of water, you know, under underground <laughs> and like this little bit of sunlight coming in and they're like, great, we're going to stop here for a little bit. And so feel free to go for a swim. And it just felt like a, a level of fear that I had never felt in my life. I was right. staring at like, this body of water and I grew up swimming. Like I'm normally not a, I wouldn't say I would normally not afraid of these kind of situations, um, but there was something that really did stop me. And I was like, oh, I'm not jumping in there. Like, you know, he said it's like 50 meters deep. Like there's like the Loch Ness monster in there or something. Right. I was like making up all these things, like, all these excuses in my head. Yeah. And um, this little kid walks up to me, this little Dominican kid, and he like pulls on my shirt and he's like, hey, mister, are you going to jump in? And I was like, uh, you first. Like kind of hoping he wouldn't, <laughs> but he did. And so I followed suit and, um, yeah, I dove in and just had this kind of rush, like this adrenaline rush. Um, and, um, I think a lot of people can relate to 
doing something that kind of gives them, you know, a bit of a, a rush it could be a roller coaster or anything like that. And I kind of felt that and it kind of felt that this challenge that I ha- was facing was, you know, going from being on a holiday and feeling really good about where you are to all of a sudden being like, oh, man, like I'm not in complete control of my life and my fears and all of this kind of other stuff came up. Right. So I kind of swam over to the edge and um, climbed out of this little kind of big pool, this cave um, body of water. And I looked at it and I was really processing, you know, like, what what am I afraid of? Like, there's no way that a local would bring a tourist here if there was like any risk of them hurting themselves. Really, right. that would that would be awful for them, you know. Um, so kind of thought through, I was like, maybe, maybe there's nothing to be afraid of and I'm kind of just making it up. So let's see if that's true. And I dove up and straight down and just started swimming down basically as deep as I could kind of pushing through telling myself, you know, if, if it is as deep as they say it is, then there's no chance in coming even close to the bottom of this cave. So I was swimming, like pushing down and got to where like the temperature of the water actually started to become cold. And in the Caribbean, he's <laughs> like, that kind of tells you you're, you're getting pretty deep. And the other thing was that it's mineral water, you know, it's not um, salt water. So I opened my eyes and, you know, it's pretty much pitch black below me. Um, and you can, can't even really feel the water on your eyes. So you can just kind of keep an eye, um, keep your eyes open. Mm. And it got to where I could feel the pressure kind of pushing it around me and I'm not really a free diver or anything. So I I was again, feeling kind of like that adrenaline was kicking in and I said, okay, I better turn around and go back to the surface. And I stopped swimming, kind of rolled over and went to swim back to the surface. And I opened my eyes and I could just see like this massive abyss that was opened up around me. And I just kind of froze and had this moment of like appreciation for kind of the, the beauty maybe um, as well as just the a- appreciation for not not knowing what was what was down there, but taking the risk to, to find it and to find out for myself. And yeah, kind of, I guess, had decided in my head that like maybe the most beautiful experiences in life are going to be on the other side of facing your fears. And yeah, swam back to the surface and swam over to my partner and looked her in the eye and said, hey, I think I'm just going to go back to the States and sell everything and travel more. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And yeah, that was uh, that was one year and one month before I landed in New Zealand. It was like just a feeling that um, it was so exhilarating that it's like the the idea of being back home and doing the stuff that I had been doing Mm -hmm. again and again just didn't interest me anymore. (laughs) And the pursuit of like what I knew, um, you know, like my career path ahead of me just didn't excite me as much as what I didn't know. Mm. And so that was the kind of like tipping point for me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So when was that? How many years ago are we talking? That was November, 2014. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I landed in December 2015. Yeah. So you go back, you sell everything, (laughs) and you start on a trip. And where were you going? Like, we are in New Zealand, so how did you end up coming to New Zealand? Yeah, so my first first thing was... Yeah, wrapped up, went down to a 44-liter backpack. So for anybody out there who, um, especially any people feeling maybe that desire to explore more, um, just do it, (laughs) obviously. Um, Yeah, anyone listening from the States that feels like they're missing, you know, there's a mystery about the rest of the world, it's it's worth doing and it can be done. And it was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, Granted, I am... um, 
a guy and I know it's easier for men to travel than women for a lot of reasons and safety and stuff, but I would just say it's worth whatever risk yeah. um, it is to have it. So yeah, I um, kind of um, came back, knew that I was going to travel. Um, New Zealand had always been on my radar as a beautiful place. Okay. And it was actually the fact that there was a indigenous presence that was still here from a lot of the research I was doing on New Zealand. Um, that made me question, you know, why do these people in the Caribbean um, have to put up with this, you know, maybe dynamic uh, of of tourism and stuff and why like do they get what they deserve out of it does the land is the land actually being cared for is it just all extractive mm. and um also realizing that a lot of those people are also happy with what they have like here we have all of these tourists on their holidays trying to find happiness and, and escaping their lives you know and getting away um and yet here these people are living very simple lives mm. and um and they're closer together their bonds and their communities seem stronger and so yeah i didn't necessarily want to move to the caribbean but i, I wanted to go somewhere that um i could mm. i could start to understand a bit more about why like how those relationships formed in those communities um and i also yeah growing up um on you know near cherokee land and there not not being any real presence of native american people um in in my childhood or in, in my schooling or um, that I could understand from their culture was very obviously missing. And it was something that, yeah, if I wasn't going to find it there, then I should go somewhere where I could find out more about it. Wow. So, so it was yeah. kind of, it was pretty purposeful then like New Zealand is where I want to go. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, um, had moved to, to kind of break up the journey here. Um, I had a one year to get to New Zealand. So I spent that time in San Francisco and Hawaii both places that I had never been, but had also wanted to go. Mm. And um, I knew I was coming to New Zealand with a working holiday, so I'd be here for a year, but I didn't know what that would turn into or if, if I'd ever go back to the States or anything. Mm. So I just, yeah, I wanted to spend some time in San Francisco. Um, San Francisco, oddly enough, I want to point out too, like that was also very intentional because of um, Asheville being a bit of this quirky and creative city of the East Coast. San Francisco was kind of the the mecca for something on the west coast mm -hmm. um and what i found over the years actually since being in new zealand was the history of san francisco being tied back to um people that um or particularly um a, pers a person that they called emperor norton who um, was super wealthy and had put a lot of resources into the arts and into like a lot of very alternative and um experimental communities and stuff had given the kind of um soil for creativity and things to kind of grow on um mm. pretty much up till now mm. and those communities are ones that um still inspire me today a lot of the stories of how they work together and how they challenged um you know politics or power structures or the norm or they basically helped society to grow mm -hmm. so yeah when i went to san francisco i was kind of keeping an eye on what was the underlying Thing in that city that made it interesting mm. um yeah like what from its past made it interesting today so yeah, yeah i got to explore that and then yeah it's fascinating down. just reflecting as you're talking you mm. know asheville and um san francisco or portland oregon thinking mm. in north america or houston you know that they yep. they have kind of set themselves apart from like a, a normal city you know they, yeah. there is this sort of quirky artsy mm. 
theme that yeah. runs through, isn't there? Yeah. And yeah, it's just, I'm thinking about Christchurch now, you know, like it, I think it could become a place like that or it's on, yeah. the, on the way of becoming a place like that. But, you Definitely. know, having been in those places, you know, what can we learn? That's yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And what I, what I did learn and what, I, and what I've learned a lot over the last, um, six years or so living in New Zealand, um, is kind of under, underneath the, you know, the hustle and bustle of cities and things like that. What I, yeah, asking why did Asheville and Austin and Portland and these other cities become so interesting and unique. And it really does come down to the gentrification of bigger cities. You know, the artists that were doing alternative things in New York and Chicago and San Francisco and L.A. Um, when they couldn't afford to live in those cities anymore because they were maybe doing what they were passionate about versus pursuing a, a career mm. in it. Um, yeah, created a vibrancy in those cities that they could no longer afford to live in because it had attracted so many other people and the economy had blown up and those first and second tier cities became unaffordable for creatives. So they'd, move, they, they'd have to move to somewhere new. Mm -hmm. So where would they choose? And if there was a sense that there was a spot that there were other creatives kind of gathering around and also reloc relocating to, then those are those kind of like third or fourth or fifth tier cities where it's a lot more affordable. And um, if the scene is kind of starting in those cities, then it's a no brainer. And right now we're really seeing that happen in New Zealand because um, Auckland and Wellington are becoming very unaffordable mm. for creatives. And I just spent um, three weeks in Wellington back in February. And a lot of the artists that I connected with had studios in their homes um, in, the, in their spare rooms. and. They're like, yeah, we, we don't really have a space that we can have a studio in the city or in like a communal space like the exchange. So we just have it in my home. But now even a, a sp having a spare room is becoming unaffordable. Mm. So eventually it's just going to be unaffordable for me to be an artist <laughs> in this city <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is why I'm seeing where we have been seeing a lot of creatives move to Christchurch uh, from Wanaka, from Wellington, from Auckland. Um, because we do have accommodation at exchange, we often get um, messaged <laughs> like, do you have a room available? Like, mm -hmm. I wanna, we wanna move to Christchurch and we wanna be around other creatives and kind of have somewhere to land. Yeah. So we've been getting more and more of those kind of requests. Yeah. Well, I'd love to find out about exchange, in, but before you yeah. do that, how yeah. did you end up there? I'm guessing it's something to do with Camilla and the work that, you know, cause it hadn't been going that long before right. you were arriving. So yeah, just describe. Yeah, so my transition to, yeah, I guess to New Zealand, um, I chose Christchurch because um, Auckland seemed like every other kind of major city to me. And Wellington was uh, in a lot of ways like Asheville. Um, mm. And I didn't really want to go back to my comfort zone necessarily. Um, so when I saw Christchurch in 2015, it had just gotten to the point that a lot of the kind of rubble and things had been cleared out of the city and a lot of the placemaking projects and urban pop-ups were starting to happen. So I guess okay. gap filler and exchange and these projects were really starting to be on the rise. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that attracted me to Christchurch in the first place was my questioning, you know, um, all right, what's my place, you know, in society, you know, where does my money go? Mm -hmm. How does it affect other communities? What do I know about the rest of the world? A lot of that came down to making a personal choice to, to move, to change my surroundings, change my conditions and start doing something a little more intentionally mm -hmm. and spending my time a little more wisely maybe. And it felt like 
if Christchurch was being built as a, as a new city, then surely we're going to take what we've learned from what's failed in other cities <laughs> and hopefully apply them here mm. um, in a way that we kind of solve some of those problems. Mm. And so it just kind of made sense that I was like, oh, if I want to, if I'm, if I'm trying to grow, maybe I go to a city that's growing. Right. And that's kind of what brought me to Christchurch. And um, when I got here, it was actually, um, yeah, like I'm sure like a little bit of culture shock as it is for anyone changing their, you know, um, moving to a new a new country and, mm-hmm. um, and different behaviors and stuff. So um, I'm a very extrovert, extro- extroverted human being, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as a lot of people know. And I found it quite hard to make friends uh, when I moved when I moved here and I couldn't really even find the things that inspired to me for me to move here, like gap filler or these kind of stories. Like the dance mat was one of the things that was like the tipping point for me to choose Christchurch, by the way. So shout out to gap filler for making the dance mat a thing. <laughs> it, it pretty much recruited me. Um, but I thought, oh, how cool is that? You know, taking empty spaces in cities and just putting dance floors. Like that's what felt like Asheville. That felt cool to me. I was like, this is a really interesting way to use space. Right. And when I moved here, it was obviously Christchurch was still getting back on its feet, still trying to reactivate the city center, like just, yeah, um, getting things going on. And I remember um, kind of getting swept into my work, um, which kind of took me around New Zealand for the first few months and felt like I still hadn't really grounded in Christchurch or found those things that drew me here in the first place particularly the opportunities to, to learn and grow and meet, meet people doing interesting things in the city. Mm-hmm. So I went online and I was like, what were those things that brought me here? And Exchange came up online. And it was at a time that it was hosting its first chef's table, which was a shared lunch with 12 strangers. And when I read that, I was like, perfect. Mm-hmm. What's better than just sitting around? And as you know, with the impact lunches, you know, the power of just bringing... Yeah strangers together to meet and to share in conversations um so yeah as an extrovert my heart exploded and i was just like yes i can just go eat and (laughs) (laughs) and meet people um and uh the other side of it was um it was also um about the chef and saying the chef is going to make up a course and you get to just eat whatever they make and I'm like, great, I don't have to choose. Like, I'd love to just give the creativity over to someone mm-hmm. and see what they, what they do with it. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of getting a sense of what I found in Asheville, that kind of creative play mm-hmm. and trusting things, you know, with um, trusting the creative people with things. Yeah. So, so you it, remember the moment that you first walked into the space and like, yeah. was it for that dinner, was it? Or? It was the lunch and it was actually, I went in the day before um, with a friend um, and I think it was because I had read about exchange as well and found like, oh, this isn't just an event. This is just, this is a public space. Mm-hmm. Like they have a cafe. They, it's like a public space that has artists, like production areas and like a gallery. And I was like, well, this just sounds like a cool place to go. So I went there the day before the lunch um, to actually offer to volunteer to help out. So I went to the exchange, walked in and saw all these all the artists in the studios and i was like whoa this is really cool this reminds me of Asheville." so i just kind of like walked right in and camilla came up to me and was like hi you know what are, what are you doing here uh, and i said oh i'm coming to the lunch tomorrow um but i thought i'd come early and, and offer if there was anything i could do to help should i come early you know do you, do you need anything um i had been involved in events back in Asheville, so i like just getting my hands into things and, and helping out yep 
and she was just like oh nice interesting no we're all good for the lunch tomorrow so just come and enjoy but um you know what are you doing here today you know and i was just like well this place seemed really interesting can you tell me a bit about it and she was like yeah this is a place where artists and creative people can come and test ideas meet other creative people kind of across disciplines and ultimately just develop their practice um she's like ultimately it's the place where people come to grow and I was like, oh, interesting. She's like, yeah, why do you say that? And I was like, I mean, I moved to Christchurch because I wanted to be somewhere I could grow. <laughs> and she was just like, nifty. Well, why don't you sit, sit by me tomorrow at the lunch and we can carry Talk on our conversation. Yeah. yeah. So at, at, that, yeah, at that lunch, um, I was just fully inspired because I was at a table with a painter from the UK, an architect, a choreographer from, a choreographer from South Korea, a fashion designer from Germany. And I was just remember thinking like, these are the most interesting people I've ever met, you know, <laughs> like what better way to get to know about other people's cultures and their like creative practices and stuff. And like, than just to sit down and share a meal with them and talk about it, mm -hmm. you know? So it felt like I had found that, like that landing zone mm -hmm. um, for me finally after being in Christchurch for a few months. And I told Camille, I was like, this is a really cool place. Like um, I'd love to be more involved. Can I just volunteer? And she was like, oh, yeah, actually, good timing. I'm going to be going on a holiday. So if you're up for it, I could really use help while I'm gone. I'll be gone for about a month. Mm -hmm. And just helping set up events like tables and chairs and projector screens and stuff like that. And I was like, yep, done. I'm onto it. Like, sounds great. And then after that month, Camille was like, hey, everyone says that, you know, you've been around a lot and been really supportive. We actually have a role running the space. And, yeah, she's like, I, personally, I feel more drawn to, like, see where it goes uh, for someone that really shows up and is genuinely interested in this space and feels like they're getting a lot out of it and right. putting energy into it. And you've kind of already started doing that. So do you want to apply for that, for that role? Hmm. And so I did. Wow. Yeah, and got the job. That's amazing. I love that story. Um, <laughs> Camille has been on the show um, mm -hmm. now quite a long time ago, but she her life story is really fascinating. So I'll put a link yeah. to that so people can click through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I, I love the fact that you showed that willingness to volunteer mm. and to get involved yeah. before you even knew that there was a job going. You yeah, know, yeah, like no it idea. was <laughs> it was just you know this is I want to support because yeah. quite often. Uh, it's more the other way around, you know, like I'll apply mm -hmm. for the job and then I'll commit to do or get involved. Yeah. And it's just a kind of an encouragement maybe to listeners to say, mm -hmm. what are things that you could get involved in? And, you know, it doesn't always have to be uh, a magic plan of I'm going to get the job yeah. eventually. Yeah. Well, it comes back to like what we talked about with education, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of what's, is it, you know, um, of course, maybe it feels like the safest path to take the one that's laid out you know a little bit more clearly in front of you but to me the most yeah exciting and kind of powerful conversations i've had in my life the most interesting people i've ever met were because i was going with the flow and just kind of surrendering to the experience and and just seeing what happened next you know i if i, I did if i had went to exchange you know just for the lunch and to get something out of it then that's what would have happened but mm -hmm. to actually look for something to put apply yourself to and show a bit more interest and say, Hey, yeah, you know, I got, even when I offered to volunteer, I was like, what does stacking chairs and moving tables and setting up projectors? Like, what does that really get me? You know, for most people they'd say like, Oh yeah, that's just, that's volunteering. It's maybe just not wasting your time, but being, being a helpful person. Mm -hmm. But what I was really hoping for was that it would, um, show the people that were around there that 
I was, I was, I was there for more and that they might be more inclined to share their stories with me or to support me or offer me something in return, kind of like all these different creative practices. And I love learning. So, um, if the painter was like, Hey, you know, you're hanging out a lot. You're cool. Like we've got to share some conversations. You want to learn to paint, you know, do you want to like hang out in my studio with me? Mm. Like that's the, to me would be the most exciting way to spend my time, you know? Um, so yeah, I would say that that was, um, and probably still is the, like the nature of exchange being like, you never know who you're going to meet or what opportunity might come up. Mm. By being there and sometimes it's that it's that um randomness or that just stepping into the unknown that sh- reveals something to you that um yeah you, you couldn't get if you were just staying on some course or a path that yeah yeah you, you had this destination that you were just really honed in on sometimes you have to just go and see what happens next yeah, yeah. and for people who haven't been there yet can you just describe the space and what's going on on a daily basis maybe because sure. i think that would be helpful for people yeah we've got people listening in england and america and all yeah, over great. the place so yeah, yeah so exchange um and yeah actually i'll share a funny story about kind of my first kind of entry into the space and i'm sure that other people can kind of relate um but yeah it's a the main the ground level so it's in um a factory so it's a big brick building with a big uh, garage door on the front and what did it used to be was it like the old a, old pickle factory the pickle factory yeah, yeah. I thought that. <laughs> origin story here yeah <laughs> um yeah par- par- part of us part of us hate that there's a big sign that says the old pickle factory and then part of me just has fun with it we've done like pickle design competitions and stuff for like stickers and merch <laughs> it's been sometimes you just have to roll with it um and if you look at actually some incredible art spaces around the world they're all they are post-industrial you know i think that um there's mm. something in history about old buildings that used to serve you know production and work that um are no longer necessary that we replace that work with work that people really want to be doing and you know creative work or the arts stuff that really helps yeah growth and um more exploration than just work for work's sake you know um so yeah i like i like that we're in an industrial um area um there's a lot behind that um as to why it's important to have affordable spaces in cities that are industrial and messy for artists but yeah when you when you walk in um you kind of get a sense that the building's kind of got a, a wall down the middle. It's like a bit of a dividing wall. And on one half you have a gallery and cafe, and then on the other half you have the artist studios that are a little bit more open open floor um, plan. And right at the front you have the cafe, so mm-hmm. you kind of step right into the building and you're you're ready, you can order uh, a coffee and, and then sit and enjoy and, and watch artists working in their studios or, or go for a wander. And one of the things that has been kind of fun to play with, um, we don't really have signs that say, these are artist studios, you're allowed to walk in, or now you're, now you're sitting in the gallery, or, you know, um, mm. I find something that actually, like looking back, when I walked into that building, there was this moment where I was like, oh, am I allowed to walk into these, this area of the building where these artist studios are? Right. And looking around and saying like, well, there's no sign that says don't enter, so I'm just too curious i have to just check it out so i like stormed in <laughs> and and that's how i bumped into camilla and there's maybe that same kind of feeling like a small version of that feeling of fear of being like oh am i supposed to be here Ooh, but it's really interesting mm-hmm. you know similar to like my cave diving experience mm-hmm. like i i love watching people 
um, go in and be like, oh, this is not just your average cafe. Okay, what's going on here? I'm I'm interested. I want to explore mm. and kind of watch them hesitate and be like, oh, am I allowed to go in here? I'm just going to do it anyways. And I'm like, yes, go you. Like, yeah. go you facing that that feeling of awkwardness, you know, where it's not clear if you're allowed to do something or not. <laughs> and those are those those are the little moments that I think, um, yeah, are, are rewarding. You can mm. have, have this feeling you go in and you're like, oh, cool. Now I'm in this like artist studio part of the warehouse and yeah and who's oh this person's coming up and talking to me great you know and that's where the, like some of the conversations really yeah tend to kick off and one of the fun things i think is that because you've got that quite large sort of gallery space mm. it's constantly evolving and changing isn't it like yeah. every it feels like every time i go oh there's some <laughs> there's some street art up here now you yeah. know and then oh wait now it's like a a gallery yeah. you know and oh here's now there's a painting that's deliberately been burnt or yeah. you know like it's pretty yeah. kind of you know changing yeah. all the time that's something that yeah that uh, to me is probably one of the most valuable um kind of the evidence that creativity is happening because when i go into some galleries or um or yeah cafes or anything and it's the same and it's the same and it's the same for a long time I'm just like, okay, I've kind of got a sense of what's going on here. And I, there's nothing more I can get really out of this. Whereas we've had people who come, who've came to the cafe every week because they've, they expect it, to, they expect it to change and, and they get a little bit of their curiosity fix, you know, their creative fix because they're coming in to see what's changed. Um, and if you think about it, that's not very common. You know, if you look at a, a storefront, um, or something that faces the street, mm -hmm. you know, they're often the same for months or, you know, years at a time. Whereas we actually, yeah, want to, want to change the environment constantly because it, yeah, makes you rethink, you know, about what, what, what your move is, you know, you're like, oh, the, the place, the place that I usually sit and have my coffee is no longer there. <laughs> right. And instead there's a sculpture there. Yeah. So I guess I'll go sit over here now. And yeah, kind of like those changing environments to me, um, not only are good for people to witness and to experience, but it's also good for the creatives mm. to come in and say, cool, I don't have to set up around the cafe seating. This place is an arts organization that's here to support me. I get to set up however I want. And then the, then, then the, the public and the cafe will, will be decorated around whatever I decide. Right. So really kind of keeping that control, trying to keep the control in the hand of the artist so that when you go in, you know, you as a kind of an observer and hopefully like a participant in this kind of creative experiment feel like you're moving around the creativity that's happening in the mm -hmm. space yeah. and, um, and noticing it. Yeah, I feel like there's actually a lot of creativity in our day-to-day -day lives that people don't realize is the arts, um, you know, and it's, yeah, public, you know, something, something alive, um, murals on the wall, you know, street art and stuff like that. Um, whereas this the exchange makes it a little bit more in your face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the other thing I'd be interested in your, your, I guess now several years being mm. in the space. I'm just curious in terms of like, cause you've got a variety of artists there, right? Like yeah. there's a vast, you know, there's somebody doing some tattoos over here mm -hmm. and there's somebody, you know, doing some sculpting, um, sculpting, painting. Paint, yeah. Like all, yeah. it's a real variety and mix. Mm. So I'm just curious wondering about that the synergy or the collision of artistic yep. ideas where you get you know the person doing the tattoo talking to the painter and then mm. they're all of a sudden they're collaborating yep. on something that's wouldn't yep. have come to be if yep. it wasn't for that environment or the space where they can connect mm. yeah that's that's 
that's really the the strength of you know the the philosophy of exchange you know that's i guess the the word exchange um really in its like purest sense is that we want to create this intersection between people from any discipline any level of experience any background um because yeah who knows what you have to learn from someone else mm-hmm. and to not put it in such a formal structure like um you know a, a, a conference this is something that i mentioned during the impact launch i really don't like that we only create um, or tend to kind of step out of our daily routines whenever there's like an event or a conference around a topic that we're curious about or we're involved in. Mm. Um, And that's when we go and engage with other people around that topic. Like to me, I want to believe that every day I have the opportunity to meet someone new, to learn something new, to to try something new. Mm. And so we've kind of like, I guess, used this space as like a, 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 you know, a day to day chance that you could walk in and who knows who you're going to bump into. Like I walked in, I didn't know I was going to end up with a job. You know, I wasn't looking for a job, sure, yeah. um, but met an incredible architect and, you know, and, and brilliant woman and uh, Camille, you know, and, and also all these other creatives that are, a number of them are still in, in my life and I'm still friends with. And sometimes, yeah, people have came to exchange because that was what they were looking for. They're like, I just want to make friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a creative. I graduated um, art school and lost my workspace i lost my community you know the other students lost my mentor and now i just have nowhere to go so i'm just going to come here mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're like great welcome you know and so what do you do you know what are you interested in how, like who do you want to collaborate with what are you working on how can we help you yeah and you know if we had treated it as an incubator or something that's like you know a six-week program we'd look at that person and be like oh yeah well our incubator you have to apply for it and, right. and it starts in in a month so you come know, back you, later. Come back later. <laughs> yeah, and that to me is ridiculous. You know, yeah. every day, you know, we seek we seek to um, have connection, or yeah. um, and sometimes we just also just feel inspired. Other days, and that's what I would probably encourage people who maybe don't feel like the exchanges for them is because it's a space for artists. But we're all inherently creative. We're all inherently curious. We all have a desire to grow, and. Yeah, whether it's because we might feel stuck, like I did, you know, I felt socially a little stuck in Christchurch and I just was like, oh, well, I'm comfortable with creative spaces, so I'm just going to go and I'm just going to sit down with 12 strangers and have lunch. (laughs) You know, um, I don't think people have to be that ambitious or anything, but I would say, yeah, don't underestimate what showing up, how simple it can look and how simple of an act it can be. Just change your environment change who yeah who you're around don't only if you're in the environmental industry or in social enterprise or in charity or in architecture don't only surround yourself with those people like Mm -hmm. who knows what you might learn from someone in a different field yeah Um, well i definitely feel like exchange provides a a place for that and and you've been really generous to let me host these lunches there Mm -hmm. i've actually lost track i think there's like 14 or 15 of them over the last sort of two or three years yeah, that's great so it's been uh, subject to covid you know right. it's been an amazing thing to do because mm. usually we get you know 35 to 45 sort of people gathering and mm. and it is that getting people out of silos having yeah. conversations and yeah. what we'll do in the show notes we'll put a link to the website so people can click through mm-hmm. and and find out more if they're interested in finding out more can you just describe ways that they could you know on ramps to Apart from the website, like, um, can they just rock up and yep. and have a look? And you, I think there's even some accommodation potentially or, yeah, yep. describe that. Yeah, that's really important for people listening that maybe are considering visiting Christchurch as well or 
people in Christchurch who, who um, know that people are traveling to Christchurch. So we have two apartments above Exchange that um, have served as kind of flexible artist residencies and um, hosting guests. We've had the one bedroom in the front on Airbnb, and that was a really great um, experiment that we did for a while, probably about two years, because it showed people that they could stay somewhere and put their money into their accommodation and really see the effects of it. You know, they would stay upstairs and then come down during the day and the artists in the studios would say, hey, you know, you're staying here. Thanks for staying here and investing in our space. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the money goes towards, um, you know, paying the bills so that we as artists don't have to worry about the price going up. You know, it actually like really contributes to like what we do. And also whoever you are as a person, you know, a new, a new voice, a new person with all these different lived experiences Mm -hmm. and stories to share. So like, welcome, you know, and it started to create this really interesting bridge between maybe tourism and a local creative, more kind of underground scene that people would normally not even know exists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, we were very, we love opening up. um, Yeah. Our accommodation for people that, are interested in in staying in that kind of environment. Um, it has a private. They all have private exits and entrances. So, so you're not you're not living in like a bunk bed in the middle of an art warehouse, sure. which <laughs> might, how it might sound. Um, yeah, it's actually just quite clear. <laughs> quite nice. Yeah, quite nice apartments. And yeah. there's photos of them on the website. So um, yeah, as far as like yeah, getting involved um, or or stepping in, I guess it depends on what people want to know. Um, and, and what people want to get out of it. Um, some people come to exchange because they, they want to work on a project. They just want to be around other creative people and they commit to it and they might get a studio for a month or a couple months, or they might just work in the cafe to be in a bit of a inspiring, buzzy environment. Mm -hmm. Kind of a, I guess that kind of creative co-working buzz. Um, and others come because they have hit like a creative rut and they just, want to be inspired (laughs) and they just want to get out of working from home Mm. maybe and that's that's the kind of start so yeah i would say often just showing up and um introducing yourself to some new people Mm. and and just knowing that a space that's kind of like neutral space exists in the city um for a lot of people it's that third space that new zealand talks about between your work and your home life like where else do you go where you might bump into people you know or have an interesting conversation and um yeah, so some people have made going to the exchange a bit of their schedule, like weekly schedule, just to be like, oh, who's in today? What are they working on? Who are yeah. they? Yeah. Um, I guess as far as our past, like kind of crazy lineup of events and creative shenanigans that we've gotten into, um, our social media is the best place to kind of look back mm-hmm. and explore kind of photos of the space and all the different ways it's been set up. I think we've probably hosted about 2000 events in our eight years of existence so yeah i think that that ranges from markets poetry nights presentations lunches potlucks art openings performances dance workshops pottery workshops i mean any type of workshop you can imagine um and those are definitely a variety because i follow some of the socials and i see what's coming up and i actually brought my daughter there Mm. um for a birthday like a how to make a pot oh yeah and nice. so we were there and she was making it and um you know little fox it was yeah, really cool. cute and she really loved it so yeah. it just shows you know kind of age range wise mm. i think she was probably 11 or 12 at the time and yeah you know it's kind of an accessible place isn't it yeah so we'll put links to everything in the show notes i'm just curious as mm. well though because you've gotten a bit more involved in creativity across mm. new zealand haven't mm. you and yeah any thoughts or comments on what you're seeing um it, 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, I've, um, well, I guess partly because our model is interesting um, in that it was set up to not be grant reliant. So um, it was set up as a social enterprise mm -hmm. and was funded to, to start. And since then, we haven't, um, yeah, had to go back for funding. Um, aside from obviously during COVID times, there was support to keep businesses going. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the model was to show that you could essentially create a space that cultivates a creative ecology. Mm. Um, whether a creative is producing new work, showcasing it, sharing it, or kind of connecting. And um, throughout all of those kind of processes, you create these mutually supportive spaces. So you have the studios and the venue and the cafe and the bar. And with that, you can run a financially sustainable model. Um, so that's piqued the interest of kind of councils across New Zealand who mm -hmm. have asked, you know, hey, we're, you know, we're in Lower Hut and yeah. there's what a space. Like? Yeah, yeah. Could, you know, what's the model like? And um, so things like that all the way to right now, there's um, a really beautiful site in Auckland um, that they've been looking at for the last couple of years to turn into, um, yeah, essentially a, 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 a 20 times the size of exchange. <laughs> like okay. It's 8,500 <laughs> 8, square meters. Um, wow. and, uh, yeah, it's where the Unitech uh, of arts and theater used to be. And it was originally, it's a heritage building that was um, the Carrington uh, Mental Health Hospital or as Asylum. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, currently it's empty. Mm -hmm. And I think it's got like two, 320 or 340 rooms. And uh, yeah, so there's a, a, a crew in Auckland that are doing feasibility studies and surveys with like the local arts community to say, you know, they're considering bowling this heritage building down and building apartments, or could we turn this into like an art center of the future? Right. And that's really interesting to me yeah. <laughs> to be yeah. thinking on that scale. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. a pretty big building. That's for sure. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, but part of me really sees like that it's, it's almost, it's more important than ever that something like that happens because mm -hmm. We're, we're actually looking for a new building um, for where we're at. One, um, we're slightly too small where we are. We can't really offer the diversity of spaces that we need for those different creative practices that you mentioned, like tattooing and painting. And we'd love to have more equipment. Um, we'd love to have, yeah, more spaces that um, are, yeah, for private production um, versus the way that Exchange is set up now, which is where everything is open so right, that there's yeah. a lot more kind of connected space. Um, for people who come in. Um, so yeah, I, looking, across, looking at New Zealand as a whole, it's like, wow, Auckland's becoming unaffordable for artists. Wellington is. Ultimately, if we don't start to secure spaces where music and um, dance and all of these space, these different creative practices and people can come together, then it's going to get harder. Mm. So um, yeah, we've kind of offered, Exchange has always been pretty like open source about the, our model and our finances and our um, operations. So we're kind of offering those um, you know, to this site in Auckland, if it's useful. Um, obviously, 400 square meters versus 8,500 <laughs> isn't exactly, you know, a copy-paste and, and scale thing. But um, what we have shown is the number of new ideas and projects and relationships and things that come from creating a space where, yeah, like this watering hole for all these different, you know, species <laughs> and, and practitioners and stuff to come is is very important mm. in, in the creative industries and it's often the most overlooked as well we think i think the arts are perceived as you know big museums or galleries and art is a product on the wall um yeah but what 
we feel kind of with a lot of these creatives that are practitioners at exchange is it's much more about our lifestyle than it is like our product. Like Mm -hmm. a product is the result of being an artist and feeling what's not quite working in society or not what's, what's, what's bothering us, what kind of conversations need to be raised Mm -hmm. and what we can make to address those issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are kind of artists roles kind of throughout history have always been a bit more about their lifestyles and their impact. Um, and then the evidence of that was in, in what they made. Mm. Um, but I feel like in New Zealand, we have more opportunity to tell the stories of artists and show yeah, how they're doing things differently. Um, yeah. And a way to support them is of course, by supporting their products. Yeah. yeah. That's really great. Yeah. I think it will be fascinating to watch in the coming years. Cause I think what I love about it is that you are an example of a place where there's, you know, it's actually been working. There's mm. people there, they're creating, mm. you know, in the past you've had different way, you know, event space, you've got, yeah. you've had cafe, you've had different things you've tried yeah. and different so models that, even we've tried. Yeah. Yeah. Different. Yeah. Different, different approaches. Mm. And so that can surely be then a example for others to go, Oh, that, that is interesting. Yeah. And I think for me personally, it's been really a, I really enjoy coming there. Mm. First of all, because the food is always amazing (laughs) and it's been really high quality. Um, But also just the, you can sense that creativity when you walk in because you're right, it's a little bit at the edge, you know, like what's going on? What's Mm. happening over there? What are they making? And then you've been really generous like to connect me because I wrote a short story called The Apple Tree. Mm. So it's looking at meaning in life. And I was thinking I'd love to get an illustrator or somebody to help. And so then you've connected me with Cricket, who's Mm. now we're collaborating or working on something. I don't know exactly what it's going to become, but it wouldn't have happened if that space wasn't there for those connections to to come together. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's very important that we also, um, I think, like when I went to exchange, you know, I didn't consider myself an artist, you know, maybe mildly creative even because <laughs> like, I just like to do new, try new things. Mm. But um, it really did make the creative industries, even though I'd already kind of had this experience in Asheville, it made it a lot more raw and real. And again, I think people, you know, matter like what age they are, what their background is or what industry they work in should go somewhere where creativity is 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 in your face mm. and, it, and, it, and it's real. And, and I think there's a lot to learn from that experience as well. When you see someone like say this potter that you said you went to, mm. you know, with your daughter to this workshop, yeah. by getting your hands onto something and, or by watching someone in their studio kind of producing something, you really get a much better value of, of it and of the person behind it. Mm. Where right now we might look at something for sale and say, Oh, you know, it's a, pair of earrings and they're $60. Well, I can just go to, you know, Kmart or somewhere and get a pair of earrings for $5. But now it's kind of, you know, when you, once you've seen someone in their creative flow or in their studio or, or, or struggling even like, you know, throwing shit on the ground, (laughs) some people are like, you know, it's, it's quite a volatile process being creative, but you have an appreciation that like what you buy contributes to someone else's livelihood. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to that story of me standing on the street in the Dominican Republic and saying, oh, my money's over here, but the real meaning of life, spending time with people, with your family, and these, you know, yeah, having, having a, yeah, a, a role in the community around you is on this side. And yeah, how, like, 
where do I start to make those better decisions? And it feels great now knowing and being a lot more aware of like what I, what I spend my money on. Like I'd rather spend my money on fashion or clothing from a local fashion designer, mm-hmm. knowing that it supports their livelihood and enables them to be more creative. Ultimately it affects their life, Yeah, you know, versus just a product or a means to an end. Yeah. And that is in, you know, music, um, you know, who we go out and, you know, buy tickets to listen to that can be in fashion that gets in products. There's it's amazing what, local people make and um maybe it's a little more hidden than we think it is like you asking you know hey do you have you an illustrator Mm. there's not really a go-to place to find illustrators or graphic designers or painters um you know maybe google or you ask around often Mm. so i think that we have room to improve um maybe even as a nation to close the the gap between creative practitioners and the arts and people who are wanting to invest in them and, and, you know, buy, spend money and commission, um, local artists to do things for them. So yeah. hopefully that's something that we can keep chipping away at. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed it. And, um, we've gone in lots of different directions too, <laughs> <laughs> ranging from the, you know, the diving into the cave and, mm-hmm. and that moment of realizing, you know, you needed to change your life. Like that's pretty, a profound experience mm. um but also some of those thoughts you know the the wealth the poverty like what's my role in this mm. and then all talking about creativity as well and i do kind of that's why i love it because now having heard what you're doing today we can mm. look and go okay look at this guy you know what was he doing as a teenager and then where did he go next and mm. then you can kind of see that progression which is yeah. i love that in a life that there is a holistic you know mm. view but I also want to give you a word of encouragement, which is I think you're a huge part of exchange. And I know there's a wide variety of people, but you, I view you as being a little bit like the glue, mm. <laughs> bringing people together. And so, or a catalyst, you know, yeah. it, it, you need somebody, you need people like that yeah. to make the space into a community. Mm. So just to, yeah, my hat's off to you <laughs> in you. terms of the work that you've done, because um, yeah. that's not an easy thing to do um, and it Mm. takes years to build community Mm. so the fact that you haven't rushed off to find your next cave to dive into Mm. (laughs) you know shows a commitment there and you know that 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 community is now becoming something it's really a special legacy and the reward you know that comes back to me is is priceless you know i've made friends that you know are spread out all over the world and local that i you know count myself extremely lucky Mm. to have in my life and um i think it was just in the last year or so that i actually um switched which is great i just turned 30 in december and Mm. it was um this event this end of year event that's big kind of um alternative nightlife art showcase event that we produce um, in Christchurch called Mary Hush. And it felt like for the first time that the work that I was doing um, or that, that my, my future, I didn't really see my future, uh, see myself in my future with the work I was doing, but actually who was, who was around me. Mm-hmm. And I've realized like I've made connections um, that with people that I'm, um, working on creative projects with that I want to be working on them with in 20, 30, 40 years, you mm. know, and that I actually, my, my future is like so bright with these people in it. Mm. And that to me is a pretty priceless thing to have. Um, especially when I think that most of our, um, probably for most of our life, like whether we're young or older, we're thinking about where are we going to be on our future? Mm. And maybe think, thinking just about ourselves, whereas now my future is painted much more by the, the other people that are in it. 
and um that's maybe the thing worth coming to the exchange for is yeah. like start adding those people to your life that um bring excitement or to do new things with that um yeah you might be doing something great in the future with yeah yeah oh that's great yeah well it's an opportune time to sit down with you then you know yeah. having a big birthday like that and um yeah it'll be interesting to have another conversation you know 10 years 20 years from mm-hmm. now and just reflect back on what we were talking about today and then sort of what happened next because yeah. i think you're right if, for me because i've lived in multiple cities around the world and i got tired of never knowing anybody <laughs> mm, <laughs> you know like yeah. walking in tokyo i'm mm. i know no one there um yeah. and then coming back to christchurch where i grew up um it's actually been a really special thing to run into people and go hey mm. weren't you at the same high school as me or right. you know like that connection yeah. point yeah. that you can't buy it you know yeah. you you can't spend money on relationship yeah it, it it's either there or it's not. Yeah. So I love that you're already realizing that that's the gold in yeah. life. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I guess the more exciting thing too, which um, is definitely something I want to put the word out for anyone listening around our kind of next steps. Um, one is that we are looking for a much bigger building in Christchurch. Um, yeah, and it's kind of common, I think, in, in most cities that I've seen these arts communities start to form. Um and these subcultures start to bubble up that they, um, yeah, start to get a bit of a rhythm of what they're doing. And, and um, yeah, we're at where we are at now, our location hasn't really given us the space or the freedom to have that rhythm. So we'd like to change the way that, um, yeah, these kind of emerging creative groups in cities thrive. Mm-hmm. And we're looking to buy a building mm-hmm. to do that. And we, um, yeah, kind of see the, the, the level of creativity and activity that we've done has actually... Um, hasn't even been the full, I think, potential of what we could do if we had our own space. Um, So one, yeah, putting it out there that we'd love to buy a building. Um, And two, um, there's actually other spaces in Christchurch that have kind of popped up more alternative venues and stuff that don't really find um, maybe the city center or, or, or business as usual, really giving them the opportunities that they need. So we've been working together with all these communities. I think we've kind of got eight different communities across the city that serve more of the alternative music and art scene. And um, yeah, if anybody wants to get involved in that um, or know more about that, it's it's quite exciting. We're, mm-hmm. we're pushing into some pretty new creative territory and looking to bring some really exciting things to Christchurch that hasn't, hasn't been here. A lot of it's inspired by what's going on overseas that artists are doing. So yeah, we want more people to be involved in that and to know mm-hmm. about it. So um, yeah. Ask, ask me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll put contact info and, you know, you can yeah. send me links to whoever you want. We can just drop it in the show notes. If people have lis- are listening now, they can just click and, and find out more. Sounds great. So, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Like mm. I said, I think on behalf of everybody who knows you and is involved in the community, thanks for all you're doing there. I think it's awesome. And it's been great to hear your life journey and a little bit about what's going on now and then what the future may hold. So Yeah, thanks for letting me share that. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Preston. For me, there was a bunch of things that stood out. And as you could tell, I've gotten to know Exchange and what they're doing pretty well over the last few years. I do encourage you, if you're passing through Christchurch, why not check it out? Because I think it represents something really, really at the edge of what the future might hold. And if you enjoyed this, make sure to check out the show notes for links, leave a rating and review, subscribe, and tell one other person about Seeds. Until next time.